let's, let's dive into this. Um, I, just as an introduction a little bit, I just want to say a word and then have a, a time of prayer. I, I believe these past two years, and I'm counting 2021 is over. <laughs> I'm saying it's in the books, other than the nativity. But anyway, I believe these, these last two years have been challenging, and that's the, the understatement, and we, no, we don't need to rehash that. But it, it's been difficult, and um, there have been other years in the history of humankind that has been more difficult. We're blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. Come on. I mean, it's been a tough two years. It's been an unusual two years, but we're blessed. And I don't want to minimize anyone who's, who has truly, really had life-changing suffering because of what we've been through in, in the virus and COVID, or certainly had someone you know pass away. I don't want to minimize that at all, but I just want to say we're blessed. We're blessed. But it's been tough. But I'm looking forward to 2022. I'm believing that it's going to be a year of abundance. I'm believing it's going to be a year of like a, a reckoning or a restitution. I believe that as we have walked through difficulties and we've walked through hardship, um, but we do so faithfully. You got What's amazing to me is that, you know, when COVID hit, we shut down with everybody else, and then we started back the first Sunday we could. As soon as the president said churches are necessary, we're like, we're meeting. Let's go. And all of a sudden, Hope Crossings just, just began to grow like crazy weird great. You know, it's like, and has continued. And there's, there's just a, a boldness and a confidence that you have in Christ and in one another, that you know how vitally important it is for us to be together. And so you have served God faithfully. You've been faithful in attendance. You've been faithful in tithing and, and offerings. You've been faithful in ministering to one another and coming together and joining together. And I think because of that faithfulness and because of your investment into each other's lives, I think God is, is saying, okay, you, you passed the test. So if you pass the test in school, you don't have to take the test again, right? I'm like, Hallelujah which was always a great thing when I found out I passed the test. <laughs> and so I think God is saying, yeah, you, you did well. You passed the test. All right, now it's, it, let's move on. And so that's really what we're going to talk about today, and we're using water baptism as that springboard. So you ready to dive into talking about baptism today? Let's pray, and then we'll jump in, all right? Father, thank you for your grace over our lives, and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We, the only reason why we can be faithful is because you're faithful. Uh, the only reason why we are clean before you is because you make us clean through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, Lord, thank you for the test that we have. You tell us to praise you when we go through trials, and that's really a, not a very easy thing to do sometimes. But we do praise you for the difficulties. We praise you in the difficulties. And we do praise you, God, when they're over. And so, Lord, we uh, stand before you and we say, Lord, would you speak to us today about next year? Would you speak to us today about what you're getting ready to do in our lives, our families, our church, our community, and in the body of Christ in general? So, Lord, we have ears to hear today. What is your spirit saying to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's start off by looking at the fact that there are three various baptisms in uh, the Bible 
that the New Testament tells us about. First off is that fact that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, By one Spirit you were baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Secondly, there's a baptism that the disciple baptizes us in water, which is what we've just witnessed. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But then thirdly, we see that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. There's only a few things that all four Gospels have in each Gospel. In other words, two of the Gospels might mention a certain event, but the other two don't mention that event. But this statement here that John the Baptist made is in all four of the Gospels, in Mark 1.8, but it's in all four of the Gospels. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me, who's mightier than I am, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. But today, of course, we've talked about uh, water baptism. We're going to talk about water baptism. We've just seen it. What about a baptism joke? Can we have a water baptism joke? Let's hope this goes over well. Well, there was a church that was having a water baptism service down at the river. And so the church was down there, Money Ember of course, standing on the banks and watching, and people were going down there to be water baptized. And it was a little town, and everybody knew everybody. And, and there was a town alcoholic. They used to call him the town drunk, town alcoholic. And so he just happened to be walking down that dirt road that day, and he saw what was happening. And so he just walked right down into the water and stood right beside the pastor. And the pastor looked at him and said, Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to find Jesus in your life? He said, yes, sir, I am. So he said, all right, I'm going to baptize you. So he baptizes him, pulls him up, and he says, well, did you find Jesus? And the drunk said, no, sir, I did not. So the pastor's a little perturbed at this. So he said, well, we're going to do this again. So he puts him under, holds him under a few seconds, pulls him back up. And he says, well, did you find Jesus? And he said, no, sir, I did not. The pastor at this time is really upset. So he said, we're going to do this again. He puts him, holds him under for like 30 seconds. He just holds him, pulls him back up. And the guy's like coughing. He's, you know, trying to get himself together. And the pastor asks him, did you find Jesus? He said, well, no, sir, I didn't. But are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> I think the pastor and the man had a different idea about what water baptism is all about. Water baptism is that moment where we make that confession of faith and we say, you know, this is, this is my life. I'm, I'm showing and experiencing physically what's already happened in my life. There's a death to self, a death to sin. A, a, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live that lifestyle. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin, but I'm not going to live that lifestyle. And now I'm raised to walk in a newness of life. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Word tells us that Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to, and you're to teach them everything that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptism represents four things. It's a symbolism of four things. First is death, and then burial, resurrection and abundance. 
We don't usually like to think about death. It's certain, certainly something that uh, our family has, has dealt with and recently. We don't really generally like to think about it. But when we begin to understand that God uses death to bring abundance to our lives, then we can begin to have a different idea of death. Now, obviously, I'm going to be talking not just simply about physical death, but about a lot of other types of death that we experience in our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Interesting that two words in the middle of that verse, living and sacrifice, put together. He says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now, this was, this was written by Jewish people to Jewish people and then in, in beyond that to the Gentiles, such as most of us probably are. They were very aware of sacrifice. For thousands of years, their ancestors had brought animals to be sacrificed as a pseudo-atonement for their sin. It was the way God had instructed them because God wanted them to show that sin has a cost and the cost is blood, the cost is life. And so the emblem was a lamb, a bull, a, a dove, a goat. There were all different types of animals. So they were completely used to sacrifice, and they were also completely used to the fact that when you bring an animal to, to be sacrificed, it is sacrificed. There's, there's no more life in it. It's gone. It's dead. But now he says, you're to be living sacrifices. In other words, to say, the old me is dead, but now I walk in a newness of life. That is the living after having been sacrificed. A living sacrifice. And that's the way God wants us to live. We can see a really great illustration of this in the, in the military of the United States. Now, I never served in the military, came close uh, to going into the, to the service, but I didn't. So I don't, I've never been to basic training. But I understand in basic training, they do several things to you for a reason. Okay, the, one of the first things that happened, I think it's probably the first day, you know, you sign up, but then you go and you get sworn in. And the first thing they do is they take you into a room and there's some men in there and they have these devices and they give you a head massage. And you walk out of that room with no hair. Gone. And then they say, okay, those clothes, they can go in the trash can. You're going to wear these clothes. This is what you're going to wear. You're going to look like everybody else. And then they say, you know what? You used to address your seniors as, hey, dude, that's not going to work here. It's sir, yes, sir. Sir, no, sir. They change everything about you. And then they say, you know what? We don't really care what you think. You're going to do as you're told. We're going to run an exercise. We're not going to vote on how we're going to run the exercise. We're going to tell you how to run the exercise, and you're going to do it. So what are they doing? They're saying, you're not going to identify with your hairstyle or with your clothing. And you're not going to be allowed to just say whatever you want to say, whenever you want to say it, however you want to say it. 
and you are going to do what we instruct you to do. We have a hundred more years of history as to the reasons why we do what we do, and that's the way we're going to do it. What are they doing? They're saying, we are going to cause you to die to yourself so that you can be a part of something bigger than yourself. You can be a part of something that's going to cause such a great impact on this world that you could never do alone. But you first have to die to self. You can't identify with the way you dress and the way you look and the way you talk. No, no, no. We're a unit here, and you're one member in that unit. So they're saying we want you to die to self so that you can live to something bigger than you and accomplish something that only can be accomplished in a unit. We read here in Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4, Paul is writing to the Romans and the Holy Spirit's inspiring him. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to live selfishly in order that God's grace could abound? That's a paraphrase there. What he said was, shall we continue sinning so that grace could be increased? He said, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. But to the Christian, we should be constantly dying to self. It's not a one-time shot, here we go all the way. It is a constant dying to self. Now, do not respond to this question. I'm asking you, do not respond to this question. But how many of you found that when you got married, you had to die to self? (laughs) And then when you had kids, because kids don't care about your sleep schedule. They don't care it's time to eat for you. They just care that it's time to eat for them, right? They're not interested in the fact that you wanted to read a book. I need to be changed now. I need to be held now. I need a bottle now. I need a passive. I need something now. Get up and help me. And you got to die to self. So dying to self and living for others is a constant in the Christian life. It is constant. And we're looking forward to the time when, just as our families experienced a death and recently We look forward to that day when we will stop living. Our heart will stop. Our lungs will stop. These bodies are going to die. Your body is not going to live forever, not the one you have now. And some of you are sad about that because that means you're young. That's a test of your age. The older we get, we're like, yeah, I'm ready for a new one. No? So we're, we're, we're looking forward to that by faith that there will be a time when we're literally, physically buried. We look forward to the promise of the New Testament that says we're going to get a new body. There's going to be a resurrection. How many of you are looking forward to the resurrection? Men? We're looking forward to that day, yes, when we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to roll on because it's been fun here on this earth, but I'm ready for a new one. I'm, I'm ready for a new place, a new address, right? So we're looking forward to that day. But I would submit to you today that that we don't have to just simply wait for that by faith without much evidence. We can live a life of sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, by saying, I'm going to die to this, I'm going to die to that, I'm going to surrender this, I'm going to surrender that, 
But what happens is that God brings about constant resurrections. Constant resurrections. Not just when we die physically and we're resurrected, though there's no one greater than that, right? But I believe that if we submit ourselves to God, we're constantly going through this dying to self, but then seeing resurrection. How many of you are interested now? Let's walk through a few verses here, and in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of prayer where we can say, okay, God, I'm on board. I'm, I'm going for this, and I get it. Are you ready for that? All right, let's go through a, a couple of uh, examples here. First off, the death, burial, resurrection, and abundance. God gives us some examples. Jesus uh, gave us the example of food. Um, he said, if you have a, a kernel of wheat, it just remains a kernel of wheat. I don't know if it's a is it a kernel of wheat? It's a piece of wheat, whatever it's called, whatever. Grain of wheat or whatever. I'm not a farmer. It's a piece of wheat. He says, if that's what you have, that's what you have. He said, but if you put it into the ground, bury it, what happens? Here you go. It resurrects. Not the same, but what is inside of the wheat grows up, and then what does it do? It produces more. Jesus said that in John. He said, the Son of Man, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he said that. He said, if you have a kernel of wheat, it's all you got. But if you plant it, then it's going to produce much. He was referring to himself. He was saying, I'm getting ready to be glorified. In other words, my, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. But then there's going to be a resurrection. And so he gives us that example, and all of us see that. All of, all of the fruit and vegetables that we eat, where does it come from? A seed, probably, maybe fine. But we see that it's a planting, a growth, and then there's a crop. And so it's a constant reminder to us. Every year there's planting, there's growth, there's harvest, there's abundance. Every year, throughout the year. And he gives us another example with relationships and, I'm just going to use the word, things. And that's found in, Ma uh, in Matthew 19, 29. He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. He's saying, if you have given up things in order to serve me, then you're going to receive back a hundredfold. Now, we, we need to make sure we understand that verse because if we take just one isolated verse and make a doctrine out of it, we're usually off kilter. Jesus is not saying that if you're going to serve me, you have to reject your parents. That is not, that's not what he's saying. He doesn't say you have to. But he's saying, you know, if, you're, if, if there's family members or close friends or whoever who's trying to pull you back to the ways of the world, they're not helping you. They're not encouraging you. They're trying to pull you away. He's saying, you need to cut, a, cut the tie there. Give that relationship up. Bury that relationship. And it could be in that very thing. That he's saying, you're, you're showing that you really are following me with all of your heart. He's saying, I want you to give that up. But just remember, you're going to receive back a hundredfold. You're going to receive back more. And it doesn't mean that that person won't be saved. It doesn't mean that family member or close friend won't be saved. But he goes through that whole list of people. And then he also says, fields. That was a unique thing to talk about, fields. I mean, he could have said, you know, water pitcher. He could have said a plow, he, but he said fields. If you're willing to give up a field 
Well, what does a field represent? It represents a way of producing. Remember, agricultural society predominantly, and we still, without agriculture, we're all going to die, right? So he's saying you, if you're willing to give up something that has the potential to produce a lot, he says, don't worry about it. You're going to get back a hundredfold and eternal life. What he's saying is there's death, there's burial, there's resurrection, and there's abundance. And he gives us that example. It's the reason why they had to bring the best lamb, the best ram lamb, because a ram can produce many offspring, and you always want your best ram to breed your best ewes, because then you get the best crop of lambs. He says, give me your best, and I'll take care of the rest. Give me your best, and I'll take care of the rest. Then he uses a, an example of money, Malachi chapter 3. He says, listen, guys, we got a problem. Some things are happening. You're not living in the abundance that you should. And he says, in fact, many of you have actually died prematurely because you're not in right relationship with me as it relates to your money. Again, money is one aspect of our life. It's an important one, but it's one aspect. He says, the whole tithe belongs to me. Bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this. He says, I want you to see it time and time again. He says, bring it in my house and this is what I'll do for you. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll push back what tries to devour what you have. I'll push it back. I'll hold it back. And then I'll open up a window of heaven and I'll pour out blessing that you will not have room enough to contain it. Death, burial, resurrection, abundance. You say, you know, the tithe is not mine. That's God's. It's always been God's. It'll always be God's. But you know, God trusts us so much, He gives us that test to put it into our paycheck. He says, I'm going to give you some of my money. Every time you get paid, I'm going to put some of my money into your paycheck, and let's see what you're going to do with it. Isn't that, a, isn't that a gracious, dangerous God? Because he says, I'm going to, let's see what you're going to do with it. He said, if you'll be obedient with that, it's like taking that and planting it. You're giving it up. And he's saying, watch what I'll do. I'll rebuke the devourer. And I'll pour out blessing on you more than you can handle. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. More than you can handle. Another verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. As I was preparing this message, um, it was even on, on Friday, I was just kind of putting the final touches. It was just really, and I got a text from my son-in-law, and, and he sent me this verse. And I was amazed. I just sat and went, dude, that is awesome. And I texted him back. I said, man, you, you gave the final verse to the message for Sunday. And I said, oh, I receive it to myself as well. But this is great for what I'm going to talk about. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And we'll really focus on that for just a moment. Some, some of you, I believe today, have kind of lost heart or are losing heart. And you're saying, you know what? These investments that I've made, the things that I've given up, the things that I've said no to, the things that I've given and invested into the kingdom, invested into people's lives, you might be growing weary. You might be losing heart. I want today to be a day of encouragement to where you go, no, I'm, I'm, I trust God. I don't see the abundance yet, but I know it's coming. So he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's powerful. We got to say, God, I don't see it yet, but I'm going to see it. I haven't experienced it yet, but I'm going to experience it. And that's how we're to live, by faith. Three times in the Word of God, it says, the just shall live by faith. Not just by what these eyes can see, but what these eyes can see, our heart, what our heart knows, what our heart can see, even though it's not in reality right now. An- another verse that, that um, we don't, we, I kind of added this a little bit late, Luke 6 and 38. Jesus said this, he said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He says, give, and it will be given back. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. What do you think of when you, when you hear the term running over? I mean, you think of a, of a container that just can't handle it, right? And so when, in, in something's pouring in, it just, it just goes out. Reminds us of Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to pour out blessing you can't even contain. You, you see the picture of running over. And what is that? It's when God pours out so much blessing on us that we just allow it to roll over onto the people around us and we just become bigger givers than ever before. And it's just because we have so much, we don't need it all. And so it just pours out and it pours out and it pours out. See, to the Christian, we never say, you know what? When my 401k is big enough, I'll start giving. We never do that, do we? Because it's never going to be big enough, right? Okay, so, yeah. What a time to go quiet on me, right? Yeah, but to the Christian, we're like, hey, man, this life is temporary. This life is a while. This is my home. I'm planning on the next one, like the eternal one. And so when, when God pours it out, we receive it. We thank you, Jesus, and then we just say, let it pour over. Let it pour over onto other people. And that's the abundance of the Christian life. So therefore, we never hold on to things very long. We, we never claim, hey, this is mine. We're like, hey, it's mine right now, but it could be somebody else's. I have it right now, but if God wants somebody else to have it, he's not going to have to pry my hands off of it. I'm just going to hold it lightly all the time like this. Here's the blessings of God. Here's the finances God's blessed me with. Here's the here's everything God's blessed me with. I just hold it like this. That way, if he wants to just let it slip out of my hands to somebody else, we're good. Because I know as I give, it'll come back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. As I bring the whole tithe and offering into the storehouse, God's going to bless me. If I'm willing to give up and plant and bury, God's going to bring abundance. It's death, burial, resurrection, and abundance. I know who I'm talking to today. You guys are investors in the kingdom. You're investors in missions. You're investors in people's lives. And I just came, I believe, here to tell you today that God wants to encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't say, oh man, is it ever going to happen? God's saying, it's just around the corner. I, I believe 2022 is going to be a year of abundance. Just as Joseph had the prophecy or interpreted the dream about seven years of famine and then seven years of plenty, uh, I'm not not claiming to prophesy right now. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm saying what I believe. 2022 is going to be a year of abundance. 
And I believe we're going to look back and we go, thank God that's over. And now, thank God for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we passed the test. We made it. We're, we're going. We still love Jesus and we still love people, even people who disagree with us. Hello. So, God, thank you. And as God pours it out, what happens? We don't go and get a bigger cup. We just, we just deal with it. We say, Lord, just let it pour it in and let it flow over. Let it flow over. Let it flow over into other people's lives. And that's the constant death, burial, resurrection, and abundance that the Christian experiences. It's not a one-time shot. It's what we're giving up for the kingdom of God. It's what we're investing into people's lives. Amen?